Hello and a massive welcome to my podcast. I'm Catherine Steele and if like me you're living with cancer then this podcast is for you. Each week I'll be talking with an expert in the fields of nutrition, exercise, rest, mental health and relationships to learn more about how these wider aspects of health can support our emotional and physical recovery. This week I'm speaking with Shamash Aldina about the benefits of mindfulness for people with cancer. Mindfulness is all about being present and learning to remain in the now has certainly eased the stress and anxiety about my condition. It's helped me worry less about the future and given me an appreciation of the current moment. Shamash has been practicing mindfulness since 1998 and is the author of the international best-selling book Mindfulness for Dummies. He's also co-founded the world's first Museum of Happiness in London. In this episode, we talk about the importance, for cancer patients in particular, of living in the present and what this actually means. We discuss how controlled breathing can reduce feelings of panic and help with the dreaded scanxiety. We also look at the best ways to get started for anyone that's new to mindfulness. So let's go. So welcome to the podcast. Welcome, Shamash. So first of all, can you explain what mindfulness is and and how it can really help for people like me who are facing sort of daily trauma with, with their cancer? Sure, sure. So uh, let's just start by talking about mindfulness and what mindfulness is, because people hear that word thrown around a lot. And actually, there's lots of different definitions of it. So I actually struggled with the definition. I, I've written one of these books for dummies, and one of them was called Mindfulness for Dummies. And I thought, okay, the first sentence, the first paragraph, that's going to be really easy. What is mindfulness? And then I got one book, and it had one definition. Another book had another definition. And I actually got quite confused. But when I started looking at them all, and started pulling out what is the essence of all of them. The first essence and part of it was about cultivating a present moment awareness. So lots of people, when they do um, their daily activities, when they're normally doing stuff, their minds are thinking about what happened in the past. So whatever's in our memory banks is coming up. And it's usually the stuff that's gone wrong, actually. So all the stuff that's gone wrong in the past, because of that kind of pops up in our head we don't start thinking like ah oh, yeah it's just so great this morning to have running water and i had that delicious weetabix with a warm milk and i didn't get rained on when i was inside we, we think more about the fact that we did get soaked when we were outside or we did get this diagnosis we weren't happy with so these negative thoughts come up and they come into the present moment to kind of take us away from what's happening in front of us or it's worries and concerns about the future thoughts about the future come into our into our minds so actually half the time we are actually connected with our senses or engaged with the person who's in front of us and all the, or the, or the cars when we're driving or whatever we're doing, walking. And half the time, almost 50% of the time, our minds are off into the past and the future. So this is the kind of the, the state of play at the moment for humanity. And so what mindfulness offers is it says that mindfulness is about consciously cultivating a present moment awareness. So it's actually saying that there is exercises you can do or you can almost even make that decision or that intention to focus your attention more on the here and now 
which is your senses, your, you know, it could be your sight, sound, smell, taste, touch. So it could be your bodily sensations. It could be the colors around you. It could be what people are saying to you. Like right now you're listening to a podcast. So the sound of me speaking and, and you listening, that process, not so much judging. Like I don't, I'm, I'm a bit, you know, if you're thinking like, you know, I'm bored of what this guy's saying or when am I going to have my next cup of tea or what's going to happen next? That's our minds wandering off, and that's what it normally does. But mindfulness is about starting to intentionally cultivate this here and now, present at moment awareness. Now, we know all about paying attention. Like, you know, when we were at school, the teacher's always saying, hey, stop looking out the window, pay attention to what I'm saying. You almost got held off for it. And, it, and, and most of the time, people associate this with the sense of concentration, where you're really working hard to be present, whereas mindfulness it's got much more of a soft and a gentle approach to being present. So it's more of, um, I suppose, persuading or reasoning within yourself that actually staying in the present moment, there's something beautiful about noticing the sky and the trees and the birds or really listening to my friend or another person and really being present. There's something really enjoyable about that and you wanting to be in the here and now and it's a process of letting go of the past and the future to come into the present moment. So mindfulness is about this soft, gentle approach to being in the present moment, but it's also with attitudes. So it's not just being in the present, but it's being in the present moment with attitudes of kindness, of a sense of curiosity, and a sense of acceptance or allowing. And so what benefits can that give to us? When your mind is going to the past, it's much more likely to go to negative thoughts and also with the future because our brains are designed more from a survival perspective than uh, being designed to just be happy all the time. If we were just happy all the time, then our minds would always go to positive things. They wouldn't have any, any of these issues and challenges. So one of the key benefits is that by being in the present moment more, you worry less, you, you ruminate less, you, you're less concerned about the past. And so the present moment becomes a more pleasant moment. So it quite simply becomes a more enjoyable place to be. So you're kind of happier, you feel happier. That's what the research shows. So, so emotionally, you have a more positive emotions coming up for you in inverted commas, because you know, we all have the whole range of emotions. So that's an emotional benefit. But also, if you're in the present moment, you're much more likely to be present with your relationships. So the quality of relationships they found go up. So emotional intelligence goes up. Uh, physically, and the listeners will be particularly interested in this, there is a healing benefit of mindfulness. So they have done uh, research on mindfulness for cancer patients, but also particularly carers of people with cancer too. And both, both situations are obviously stressful. And although I haven't had a chance to look exactly at the research benefits on the on the cancer itself we do know that the stress that is associated with the cancer through doing mindful uh, a mindfulness course or mindfulness exercises that stress becomes reduced and just from my general understanding of stress stress is associated with your immune system and the higher your levels of stress are especially if you think stress is bad for you so you have a negative perception of stress and you think the stress is bad for you, so then your immune system becomes lower, so you're much more likely to get sick. So another big benefit for your physical body through doing mindfulness exercises and living more in the present moment is that you'll be uh, better able to recover from whatever kind of challenges or diseases are coming up for you. Um, 
So I can't say that, you know, it reduced the actual cancer itself, but other kind of illnesses that are around it may be reduced. And who knows, it may have a beneficial effect. I like to think so uh, with uh, whatever challenge you're going through with the cancer itself. There certainly is a lot of research around stress and how the hormones that are produced when you're in a stressful situation can actually increase the growth of cancer cells. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of advantages of trying to stay calm. And it's one of the reasons why I find mindfulness so useful. Yeah. There's one thing that I would like to say about the calming element of stress. There's a very, very good piece of research. If you look at a TED talk called Making Friends with Stress, and it talks about the actual benefits of stress. And so what it found in that research, which was on 29,000 people over 20 or 30 years, they asked an extra question they never asked before, which is, do you think stress is good for you? And if people said that they thought stress was good for them, it energized them, it activated them, got them moving. When they did an autopsy afterwards, they found that their arteries were open. They didn't have any negative impact from the stress itself. They also found that they lived just as long as any other group. But if people believed that stress was bad for them, then in that case, they had more kind of issues and challenges coming up. They, they got more sick and they actually didn't live as long. So we can talk about the, the importance of reducing the stress, which is what mindfulness is about. But it's also worth considering what is your perception of stress and seeing it more like a positive challenge rather than just a negative. Because it's something to learn from any kind of stressful situation. Sure, yeah. And for anybody who is new to mindfulness or maybe has tried maybe a Headspace app or really hasn't embraced it fully, where do you think they ought to start? Yeah, so different people like different approaches. Some people may be up for doing an in-person course. So that's the best approach. You find a mindfulness teacher. It may be a friend or a family member's have gone to a particular teacher that they resonated with. Or you may like to look online for this different registered lists of teachers. But in my, my opinion and experience, it's not so much to do with whether they've done this qualification or that qualification. It's more to do with, do they resonate with you? So trying to find a, a local teacher in your area and to go to a class would be the ideal. If you can't do that, then yeah, apps like Headspace are good. There's various, there's, there's many good books on mindfulness, which you can read, and they often have an audio, guided audio that goes with them. And yeah, just reading around the subject and listening to podcasts on it. And there's obviously a lot of YouTube videos on it. There's also a couple of other apps I could recommend. So Headspace is, is a popular one, but it's just one particular teacher. So if you want a, a more variety of different voices and a lower cost, there's one called Insight Timer, which has hundreds of different teachers with their guided meditations of different lengths that you could also try, and that might be free, actually. There's another one called Calm, an app called Calm, and that's got different beautiful images that you can watch and look at, and it feels like you're flying through the sky or looking at trees or looking at rain, and it's got some guided audio in the background too. So that, that's another approach as well. That's nice as well, because having that imagery probably helps you, if you're new to it, not to veer off. You've got you know something to look at rather than looking at something that might send you off track. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's really beautiful imagery. I mean, the guy who made it, I think he was into making games and things before. And it's really, really stunning imagery. So Calm, Calm app is definitely worth checking out. Excellent. Well, I'll put all these in the show notes so people can, can have a look through those and, and find out, I guess, what works for them because everybody's different. One of the things that 
we often ask ourselves is why me? Why have I got cancer? Why has it happened to me? And that really puts us into thinking about the past, which I know is discouraged in, in mindfulness. It's very much about living in the present. We can learn a lot of lessons by looking at the past. And a lot of people use that as a, a method of, of healing because it can inform about ideas about how they might want to live in the future. So how do those two things um, marry up? You know, the fact that we want to be able to live in the now, um, but also we need to learn from our past. That's a great question. So although mindfulness encourages us to cultivate a present moment awareness, it's not like, you know, every single second we need to be in the present moment. Like, for example, if you want to know where we live, we need to go back to our memory banks to remember where we live to be able to go there. So living fully in the present moment, you wouldn't actually be able to function as a human being. What we're just saying is to, at the moment, our minds go off perhaps too much to the past and the future. So you need to cultivate more of a present moment awareness. Now, you've given a nice example there of where you might choose to actually think about the past and reflect on it as a way of healing in the present moment. And I think that's a very uh, wise way of using the mind. So I would put that, I would like to even include that as a, as a mindful process that you're doing. You're reflecting on what's happened in the past in a conscious way, and you're thinking about uh, what happened and using, thinking about positive experiences that happened in the past, for example, also, and so-called negative experiences, and you're learning from them. And you may also do that about the future. So for example, hope is an example of thinking about the positives that could come from the future. And anxiety is about just focusing on the negative things that happen in the future. And actually, neither of them are absolutely true. And a wise approach would be to have perhaps a balanced approach that, uh, to both past and future and to see both there. So, yeah, um, I think it's a good point. And I think it's worth remembering that you know, mindfulness isn't just obsessed with living in the present moment and never, never reflecting or never thinking about past and future. It's about being more conscious in the way that we use our minds. Yeah, so you're so you're controlling your thoughts um, as opposed to letting them run off and control you. Yeah, yeah. I don't like the word control because of I'll explain that in a minute. But yeah, the essence of it is rather than it being a very automatic thing that happens to you, you're starting to take a more of a conscious approach and deciding this is what I'm going to focus on. I'd just like to talk a little bit, like, because you mentioned this fantastic word, which is control. You know, we, we joke about this concept of being a control freak and trying to control things. And nowadays, we do tend to do that a lot. We try to control things a lot. And some people believe that the way to reduce stress is to take more control of our lives. But the reality is, <laughs> this might sound a little bit shocking, but I think ultimately we all know the reality is that everything is completely out of control. And we don't actually know what's going to happen even in the next moment, let alone in the next few days, weeks, months, and years. The likelihood is everything is going to be relatively fine or relatively similar from one day to the next. That's the likelihood. But ultimately, anything can happen at any moment. So control as an ultimate way of living doesn't really work, especially with your own mind. For example, if you've had a, a cancer diagnosis or something, or you, you're having some negative thoughts about the condition that you've got, then trying to control those thoughts by trying to push them away or set them aside may work for you. But ultimately, in the long run, you may find that it doesn't. Because the more you try to push something away in your mind, the stronger it gets. 
let's say you worried about that, the can- that I've got cancer and I'm going to die. I might die tomorrow. I might die tomorrow. That thought might come- be coming up. And you know that if you keep thinking that, obviously it's not a good thing. So you may think, okay, what I need to do is tell that part of my brain to just shut up. And I, I need to stop thinking about that. And I must just look at the blue sky or I must do this. So you try to kind of force the mindfulness or force yourself to think positively. And there's loads of nice research to suggest that that just doesn't happen. It doesn't work. Because the more you try to force something to not be there, actually just makes it stronger. Everyone should try this as a one or two minute experiment at some time, which is you just don't try to think about flying pink elephants or just something random. Just pick something random. Spend two minutes doing your very best to not think about that. And you probably think about that thing more than at any other time. And so why do we use this strategy with negative thoughts? Because exactly the same thing happens. Okay, I must not think negatively about the future. I must think positively. But that negative, that that very desire to control is what's unfortunately fueling it. So what we need to do is learn to go from the opposite of control, which is the approach of letting go, of allowing it to be there and acknowledging it. It's just a thought. It's just another thought. And yes, I might die tomorrow. I also might not die. There's a beautiful uh, story from one of the greatest philosophers of all time, Winnie the Pooh, which my teachers <laughs> often quotes. And Piglet is, uh, says to, to Winnie, you know, oh, you know, we might die, we could die at any time, we could die to, today, we could die tomorrow, anything can happen. And uh, Pooh says, yeah, you know, you might, you might die tomorrow, but most likelihood on most days, you won't die. And for most days in our lives, we don't die. Most days are okay, actually. Um, it's just our minds that are what wind us up. Uh, are more than they need to so yeah it's worth worth keeping a more balanced approach that ties in quite nicely with one of the mantras that i have which is not today cancer yeah i really like that if i'm feeling a bit low if i'm very anxious maybe i've got a scan coming up or i'm worried about a certain symptom i can start in the morning i can say not today cancer and if i keep on saying that to myself actually what that does is it just reminds me that am i going to spoil today by thinking about this I will have to deal with this in in a few days' time, in a few weeks' time, whatever it might be, whatever my next appointment is. But today, I can just be a normal person. Exactly. It doesn't. I don't have to be the cancer victim. And another one I have is this idea of cancer being an orange ball. So Mm. I visualise this orange ball, and I I put this orange ball in my head, back into a box, and close the lid. Yeah. And it's putting cancer back in its box. It has its place, but it doesn't have to dominate every waking second of every day. There is an element of control about that, I suppose, but it's not banishing it entirely. Just putting it in a place when I can deal with it when I need to. And I like that. And like, like I'm saying, the suggestions I'm giving are just suggestions and different things work for different people. So for you, this approach of putting this, the visualizing the cancer, putting it into a box and just setting aside, I think it's fantastic if it works for you because of you actually seeing things in reality that yes, there is a part of your life that is about the cancer and dealing with it. But also there's a whole other range of your life, which is also worth valuing and talking about and discussing. And I mean, the very fact that we're on this podcast now is about you acknowledging the fact that actually, yes, there's another part of me which can function and can do the good things and can create great things and can help support other people too with what, what with the challenges that you've gone through and to share and to help and support others. And the more I think you pay attention to that part of you, 
the more that grows too and the more excitement that comes from it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'm really focused and cancer has become less dominant in my mind because I have another purpose. I don't work now, but when I was working, I could forget other anxieties that I had before I had cancer. So it's probably having the same effect that the anxiety of cancer and and a scan that I might have, is my treatment working, etc., can just get put on the back burner for a wee while. Talking about the control element as well, As a person with incurable cancer, you have to learn to not be so in control because your life can change at any moment. You live scan to scan. So I have scans approximately every three months. So I can't plan a holiday in, say, April because I don't know what treatment I'll be on. I don't know if if my symptoms will be under control or I don't even know if I'll be able to fly in April. You kind of feel jealous sometimes of people who can plan their lives and and do have this element of control. So I think it's important to to understand that, yes, you're right. We don't have much control over our lives. And that's the same for everybody, whether you're somebody who's suffering from cancer or, or something normal, in quotes. And also another kind of a story that comes to mind about this situation because of, yes, I can see how your life becomes limited. There's less things and less options you have available. But you, but even in that situation, you may have more options and choices than somebody else. And it reminds me of a, a story a monk shared about actually a, the conversation the Buddha had with one of his monks. One of his monks was going to another country. And, uh, you know, the way it works with monks is they have no money. They have no possessions as such. Uh, they just get fed whatever people give them that's the only way of surviving so the buddha says okay so you're going to this country but uh what if the people aren't very friendly and the monk said well if they're not friendly at least i'll get some food and then the buddha says yeah but what if they don't give you any food he says well okay okay i might not get food but at least i don't get kind of abused by them he says what if they kind of abused you and they shouted at you he's like yeah well at least they wouldn't kind of hurt me or punch me he said well but what if they hurt you and if they punched you He's like, yeah, well, at least they don't stab me. And he said, yeah, but what if they stabbed you? He said, well, at least they haven't killed me. But he said, what if they kill you? He says, well, if they kill me, then, you know, I might, you know, I might go into heaven or I might go, you know, I might be, I be reborn in my next life and can move on to, to the next kind of stage of what I need to do in my life. And the Buddha said, excellent. Okay, I'm going to let you go to this, this other place. And it's actually a really, really nice example of how, no matter how bad our situations are, Yes, we can focus on all the stuff, all the situation and what's happening now. But there's also this little glimmer of light of another thing that we can focus on. And we've always got choices. We've all got choices, yeah, even in those. And uh, I don't know if this, that story resonates with you or it reminds you of something or do you, is it something that you think would help you or other people in your situation? I think so, yeah, because there are a lot of doors that um, we seem to have closed on us. Um, like not being able to plan anymore, like um, for me, working really wasn't uh, the answer for me. So I I felt like I couldn't work because I felt that was sort of wasting any time that I might have. So it can open other doors without you realising it. And, you know, the fact that I can't plan a holiday just means that I have to adjust the way I live my life. It does take a lot of getting used to. Yeah. But then you go, well, actually, what benefit was I getting by being able to plan my life three, six months ahead? Yeah. And really, what difference did that make? And you do get used to it. Yeah. And then you can probably start finding some benefits. Like if you're not traveling, you're not flying so much, you're actually causing less global warming. So you're causing less, less harm to the planet. 
and you're living more in the moment and maybe you'd be having holidays in the UK, maybe with people that you normally wouldn't have spent time with or you might end up finding places in your own home country. I'm afraid I still go on holiday, but I do it at shorter notice. <laughs> oh, nice. So you're more of a jet setter though. You just turn up and like, what's available? <laughs> where's, the, where's the plane flying today? Oh, that's good for you. Good for you. Yeah, I'm a bit of a, a sky scanner addict. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you can just what, you can just choose wherever's the lowest cost and just go off there. Well, yeah, it's just having experiences, isn't it? Yeah. There's all sorts of things that you can still be doing. And one thing I did want to ask you about was there's a word known as scanxiety in the cancer community, and that basically means that you're living in this cycle of treatment, scan, result, and then a decision about what treatment you're going to have going forward. And for me, like I say, that that tends to be in about three-month cycles. And the closer I get to my scan and the closer I get to my scan result, the more the anxiety builds up. And it's the same for everybody. And sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder. And there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason as to, as to how difficult that period is. Uh, but scanxiety is a real problem for people. What advice could you give of how mindfulness might be able to help that? Yeah, so there's actually a range of different kind of things that you could do and people could try. Because I'm a bit of a fan of uh, offering a whole range of different approaches to see what works for you. So one thing that comes to mind that I've been practicing for several years is journaling. So something that the, the listeners may want to do is just, uh, just journaling and just writing down what kind of emotions are coming up for them every day, whether it's you know, coming up closer towards the scan or even further off. So even it's actually quite important to do all the different practices that I share, not just when the anxiety or the stress is very high, but at any time that you, you have, and even if you're kind of feeling good or feeling okay, because it's in a way you, you're kind of like weaving the parachute, preparing yourself for the time when things will become more tricky or difficult or challenging. So yeah, a, a journaling is a really good one where you just, you just let yourself write whatever kind of comes to mind. But then you can also lean it more towards positive. So we talked about how you know, there's things that you can't do, but there's also things you can do. There's a part of you that has cancer, but there's also a part of you that doesn't have cancer. There's things, you know, there's restrictions of your, on your travel, but there's also that actually opens up new opportunities through those restrictions. So allowing yourself to also dwell on those more positive elements, which is not just a, a blanket positive thinking, but it's actually realistic thinking, things that you can actually do uh, that would help you. The process of journaling, that helps you focus on the more positive things in your life? Is that, is that the intention of journaling? That's a good question. So no, that's not the intention. The intention is actually to take those thoughts that are kind of going round and round in your head and to externalize them. And the very process of taking those thoughts and putting them onto a piece of paper seems to help to kind of process them. There's been some research that shows that it can even be more powerful than having a actual counselor or therapist because if you're more likely to fully open up to that page and that piece of paper. But then there's also other benefits of focusing on the positive, like for example, gratitude, Focusing about what's good in your life, like you know, maybe you have children, or you have family, or you have friends, or it's a blue sky, or at least you've got food and shelter, or clothing, or medical. You actually have a hospital that you can go to. There's actually lots of good things in any in any moment. So, writing a few of those can be very helpful. But also taking a few moments to dwell on the negative. I've seen a very nice piece of research. I think it was by someone called Pennebaker or something where he got people to write down their most stressful moment in their life. 
and to write about it for 10 or 15 minutes. And then when they went back to these people three months, six months later, they were not only happier and healthier, they were exercising more. Uh, there was all sorts of physical benefits from just having done that process of writing down the negative experiences that they've had in the past. I was listening to a podcast, a Rich, the Rich Roll podcast, and he had Tim Ferriss on. He likes to write down every morning, I am, and maybe five or six things that I am happy, I am healthy, I am optimistic. That helps him focus on some more positive elements in his life. Just that process of writing it down, he says, makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. It's... Seems really weird to, to to actually have to write it down rather than just think it. But I've I've heard many times of the benefits, and I do, I do it myself too. And I'm more likely to do it when things are more stressful for me, and I find it helps me to to actually become more reasonable. When I get it, see right on a piece of paper or on a, just on a document online, I say, actually, yeah, there's these things happening, but there's these good things happening too, so I can reason with myself better. It maybe also helps you let go a little bit of those those thoughts because you've written them down and a little bit like by orange ball in the box is by, by putting it in its box. So it's by writing something down, you're, you're sort of, you're compartmentalizing it, I suppose. Absolutely. And then you can also do things like, <laughs> this is a funny one, which I've heard one teacher talk about, where you take a, uh, take a loo roll and brown felt-tip pen and write down any negative things that you really want to let go of, but you can't, and then screw it up and flush it down the toilet. And that's, that's a process of letting go, which is uh, associated with something that we do every day. And that can help. Or just, you know, just writing on a piece of paper and burning it uh, in a fire or something. I might try to live with my kids. I think they'd like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they'd love it. Good. I mean, great advice. And, and I guess another crisis point that, that I find, and I'm sure many listeners will find the same, is that moment when you're maybe sitting in the surgery waiting to be called in for your scan results or the nurse takes three or four times to try and cannulate you and you just go into this sort of blind panic. Again, is there anything that you can do to get yourself out of that to sort of take you into a different zone? Yeah. Change your state, if you like. Yeah, so I think the most powerful way of changing state is through deep breathing. So I just wanted to say a little bit about breathing and why that's important. So your breathing is part of your autonomic system. So it's something you do automatically, but it's one of the only things that we can we both do automatically, but we can also control it. Your heartbeat, much harder to control. Your digestion, extremely hard to control. Yeah. So things like this, most things that we can't. But the breathing is kind of on the boundary. It's something very, very unique that we have that's happening automatically, but we can control it. But the fact that it's happening automatically means that it's actually wired up to our stress system and also our relaxation system. So by controlling our breathing, which almost everyone can do, much, much easier than controlling, say, your mind or, or what thoughts you're going to have or things like that. Controlling your breathing is much more accessible. And by controlling it in this way, you immediately, in that instant, are guaranteed to change the state. Because of every human being, each time they breathe in, their heart rate goes up. And each time they breathe out, their heart rate goes down. Now, I was teaching this in a company yesterday, and somebody had one of those trackers on their, on their wrists, like a Fitbit thing, where you can measure your heart rate. And he was looking at it, and he could see every time he breathed in, the heart rate went up 10 times, uh, 10 beats faster. And when he breathed out, 
it went 10 beats slower. So by controlling your breathing, when you're, when you're in an anxious state or in a panicky state, your breath would have this kind of shallow breathing pattern. So you'd be breathing in and out faster. Your in-breath would probably be a little bit more than your out-breath. And your heart would be being faster too. And it's just natural things that come up uh, through a fear state. So what you, what you can do, and I recommend you do this before you get into that situation when it's really, the anxiety is really high. But you, you can do the simple, the simple breathing to start with, which is to breathe in for a count of four. It's called box breathing. And it's something that's been used even by like, the military in the United States for dealing with war zones, really, really panicky situations. And using the breathing of all the things to help control it. And, and uh, just another aside, when they were trying to find a good treatment for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is when you can't sleep properly uh, or you, you know, if you do sleep, you have nightmares, you really can't focus in the present moment at all, and talking therapies don't seem to really even work, medication doesn't seem to really work, but the deep breathing was the one thing that they found did work. So, uh, and through the deep breathing, they were able to sleep better. Effects of PTSD started to keep going down months and months and months later. So it got better and better. So the first type of breathing is the box breathing, which is where you breathe in for a count of four. One, two, three, four. You hold it four, and then you breathe out for a count of four, and then you hold it again for a count of four. So we could just, I could just do it for just one cycle just to give you a sense of it. So it's breathing in. Holding it, two, three, four, breathing out, two, three, four, and then just holding there, two, three, four. So start with four, then maybe you can move on to five. There's an in-breath, hold, out-breath, and then just hold. So that's the basic, and that kind of balances your, your nervous system in that state of of anxiety or panic that will really, really help the other approach which can really help to deepen your relaxation after you practice that box breathing is called four seven eight breathing where you breathe in for a count of four and then you hold it for seven and then you breathe out for eight so you breathe out for much longer than you breathe in and when you do that remember what i said earlier the out breath is to do with relaxation so no matter what's going on around you your body will start to engage the relaxation response. And you mentioned that was um, is also good for sleep. So yeah. I, and I know that's something that people do suffer from is a lack of sleep because of their anxiety and the stress around their diagnosis. So, um, so that might be something that you want to do maybe just before you go to bed or maybe once you're in bed. Just- exactly. Yeah. And not, and yeah. So like I said, not even just in bed, but you know, in the mornings and during the day you're waiting in a queue when you're thinking so you're just practicing it whenever it comes to mind because people can't even see that you're doing it it's not like you're getting into the tree pose and things of yoga or something we're all breathing all the time so it's like undercover mindfulness type thing undercover mindfulness very good <laughs> you put shades on too if you want have a hat yeah yeah good and it doesn't take long right yeah, well, we're breathing all the time anyway. So it just takes no time at all. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then if you can bring the mindful element, so you really focus on the breathing. Yeah. Or you could say you're, like you had a mantra that you shared with us. Yeah. So the listeners might like that mantra or like the one I like is breathing in a sense of peace. I just say to myself the word peace. When I'm breathing out, I just say letting go or just letting go of the stress and anxiety. So the out breath 
represents the letting go element that yeah. can really help too so okay. the words that we say in our minds we can start cultivating these positive angles excellent i'll be off to do that in a moment so listen this has been absolutely fantastic some really good advice and just really helps to get some idea about how we can approach mindfulness from a cancer patient's perspective because i think our, our situation is, is quite unique and the stress and anxiety that we feel never really goes away uh, so all the more reason why having mindfulness in your life can can help to to give us a much nicer life. We're not, we're not just there's not just little pockets of stress that we feel. There's stress all the time. If people want to find out more after trying all the, the the techniques that you've said, if they want to take it further, what what would you suggest? Okay, so one thing that I would recommend uh, people try is a course that I've created online called Kindfulness, which is about combining mindfulness with feelings of warmth and compassion and kindness and this has loads of scientific evidence that not just the being in the present but learning to be our own best friend and being kind to ourselves i think this is particularly important when you've had such a diagnosis because of you know you'll be feeling down more you'll be feeling anxious more you'll be thinking why me so if you could be your best friend listen to yourself and say soothing things to yourself that could be really helpful all the, all the resources available from the website called shamashaladina.com. So that's kind of my, my main website. And then you'll find links to a program called Kindfulness. Uh, you'll find links to blog posts where I talk about mindfulness. Um, but I think the Kindfulness is a really good one to start with. And it's just free for the first seven days as well. So see if you, see if you like it. Perfect. Well, I'll put those, all those on the show notes. And really, there's no excuse. There's plenty of resources out there. Yeah, I'd like to say thank you to you. Thank you for the courage of... Uh, of talking about the challenges that you've gone through and for taking the time to interview me and also others going forward to share tips with others so that they can also be supported. So. Thank you so much, Shamash. If you've enjoyed this show and you feel it's been helpful, please share it with others that you feel will benefit from it and also hit the subscribe button. The whole reason for me doing these podcasts is to help as many people as I can. If you have any comments, please also leave me a review. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll speak to you next week. Bye.